met a man He was a good man Sailing and shoring Dancing the beta can-can Making the foreign Ah, oh, yeah This is the chair And we're back. Uh, I'm Murphy. Tom, we're here for part nine. Are you out there somewhere? <laughs> yeah, how are you, buddy? What's going on? Beatles Lodge? Good. How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. I just always loved Revolution Number 9. I thought it was perfect to have a little uh, Beatles reference. And it's part nine. That's that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to do a rewind, right? Yes, this is The Chair. It's a good episode. I think like uh, Matthew Lillard has a starring role in this one. Yeah, this was the great, yeah, that great scene with uh, the interrogation. Um, Tammy, yeah. Tammy. Tammy's best turn as well, I think. It's a great, and wasn't, great, yeah. wasn't it her actual first scene? Uh, the, you mean the first one that she was that she shot? Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. I yes, think that's what you, yeah, that you, you dug that up before, yeah. And it had been like two weeks. We had seen part eight. We had two weeks off around 4th of July, and here we were. We were very excited to see this episode, I remember, if I recall. Because we thought maybe they were going to stay in like the 40s or 50s. We had no idea. Well, that's okay. So <laughs> all the pub, right? They didn't. Of they, they, We didn't know what the hell was going to We didn't know what was going to happen with part eight. But all the pub from part eight and having that extra week, I think got a lot of people who were either jumped off the Twin Peaks bandwagon or haven't even heard about it um, and were ready for part nine because I think the numbers for part nine were actually pretty large. But part nine starts off a little slower and it just wasn't kind of a wow episode. You can't always have a wow episode. <laughs> so the great Nielsen's and then like five minutes in like half of them dropped off, you're saying? <laughs> what I'm saying is that when they <laughs> cut it together, when Lynch cut it together with Dwayne Dunham, he had to know, they had to know what the reaction, there was going to be a lot of water cooler talk, so to speak, from part eight and they were probably going to get this little like bump in viewership but then he just, I don't think like Creatively, uh, wanted to go ahead and maybe take advantage of that because part eight, part nine is more. I would say it's more kind of like a, an intermission, more exposition. Um, it's kind of a transitional episode, even though there's a lot of great scenes in it. But I think when people watch this that maybe weren't interested in it, they jump back off the, the bandwagon, so to speak. And we stayed on for a lot of other people, but. Is that why they kept part eight here, not at the very beginning, like we were thinking about a few episodes ago? Uh, because they needed something to help with all the filler and the exposition in this episode. So you had to cut part eight. But uh, <laughs> it does. It you know this is a, a this is another perfect example of like there's two or three scenes, especially with the Fuscos. And we'll talk about it when we we queue it up, where you have like about a five minute scene that could have been really condensed in about thirty or forty five seconds. And uh, the real 50 cent question of the return, uh, even though we love uh, everything and all the, you know, self-indulgences of, of Lynch, um, that um, it probably would have worked better with a mainstream audience and Showtime probably would have been happier if it was, you know, that nine or ten hours. I you're going to say it would have been better, but no Fusco's at all. <laughs> what really did the Fuscos no do? Yeah, we'll talk like about three it. Fighting buckles. They had no point. They were like the red <laughs> herrings because we thought they were going to like the FBI was going to figure out who he was, Dougie. You know that that was going to be their plot point, right? Their thread. Yeah. They didn't really have one. 
No, no, no. they didn't. But, uh, but if you want, I mean, all of Lynch's movies, especially now with uh, everything, you know, with DVDs and special features and collect, uh, collector editions and everything, with Wild at Heart and Blue Velvet and Firewalk With Me, all three of those films, we've gotten not extended cuts, but, you know, deleted scenes, so to speak. And uh, so you're able to see what else Lynch was shooting. And, uh, you know, Blue Velvet is my favorite movie of all time. And there's almost like two hours of, I think, of, of extras in there. But other than a couple scenes here and there, I'm glad that they weren't included. I'm glad that Lynch had that two hour time limit um, to uh, that, even though he had final you know, cut, that he couldn't go over two hours. And Wild at Heart, kind of the same thing. I mean, there's some interesting things in there. I think the same thing for the Mrs. P- Missing Pieces. There's a very good reason why I think that uh, Lynch, you know, had a certain time limit, even though he did have final cut. It's because a lot of this stuff is, you know, even though it's kind of interesting here and there, it's kind of meandering and it's going to, you know, not play to... Kind of. <laughs> it's got to, not going to play to a more you know massive audience, and Lynch doesn't have a massive audience to begin with, and this is what we got in the return. But uh, all right, well, speaking of meandering, yeah. let's get the show. Let's get going. Uh, oh, I'm the ranch, with the Rancho Rosa logo. So, are you ready to hit play? You know, I had a couple more bits there, but uh, you just uh, you had, I guess, I cut you off. You've got final cut of this podcast, right? <laughs> well, you edit at the end, so you got the double final cut. But right now, let's <laughs> let's go ahead and play. Okay, ready right, to go. So, okay, with these opening credits, we don't really talk about the opening credits at all. Now knowing what we know, do you think it was the right decision to have the iconic falling song play over um, the opening credits? No. Yeah, I agree. I would have preferred to have it be something rocking, like something badass, like some lost highway, something kind of insane. But you, that this is the brand, the branding. It's at the same logo. I mean, that's one thing. It's the brand. So it would be hard. It would be people would freak out if we had done some Trent Reznor opening. You would have freaked out. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, but still, it's the opening. It's the classic opening. How can you, uh, how can you have any second guesses over that? Well, he did with Firewalk. We do go over the waterfall this time. Well, yeah, there's all new different. shots and everything. Yeah. But um, in Firewalk With Me, he had a whole different opening tune that Angelo did and it was really like like somber and melancholic and it really kind of played into the vibe of the film um, that we were about to see and maybe Showtime forced him to like they wanted to have the brand (laughs) well no I just think that this is its own beast I'm surprised that they didn't use a different because I think a lot of people they love this uh, you know the 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 song and it evokes feelings of the original series but the what we got the 18 hours did not evoke yeah it didn't match the soundtrack at all People are probably like, oh, this is going to be a very nice little, like, tranquil story. And then we get <laughs> vomiting hobos from hell. So, yeah, we open up. I think the first scene is, say, he's alive, Mr. C. Of course, he's we alive. do that, right? Yeah. yeah. But does he have the bob bubble in him, Tom? That's the big question. That was the big question. Do you think, like, uh, there was, like, a, a scene of, like, several cars passing him on the highway and not picking him up because of his uh, uh I was thumb state? out. It'd be great, like, you know, thumb out, you know, like, people passing him again and again. He's trying to, you know, hitchhike. I would like that scene. And this red bandana obviously Signal. signifies yeah. the location where Hutch and Chantal. And we're going to be doing some cross-cutting here, go directly to the uh, plane. So their FBI, the Blue, Blue Rose Task Force, is going back to Philadelphia. Um, but Tammy um, comes and speaks to Cole. And I believe she's got a message from Ernie Hudson. Is it Colonel Davis? Is that who he plays? Yeah, boy, he's really blowing through the FBI, uh, you know, budget with this Learjet. Like, yeah, know, right. completely empty. Yeah. And he's got uh, the Bordeaux, like, uh, stocked, Bordeaux. like, yeah. on the plane, too, right? 
He's, yeah. uh, he, he might have known that he was going to be gone for a bit. But uh, So yeah, there's a little bit of banter here with uh, Colonel Davis. Doesn't he think that Colonel Davis is fuckhorn? Because he says, like, I don't appreciate uh, that yeah, kind of language. Right. That's right. Yeah. Little joke, little wordplay. Did you find that funny? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> he does that a lot, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't really think of what fuckhorn. I, you know, I didn't think about that. But I, you know, he likes to do, like, you know, misinterpretations of, you know, so I thought that was funny. But I wouldn't, the fuckhorn wasn't necessarily a laugh riot. You know, uh, Showtime is hyping the show for Emmys. And one of the categories they're hyping is the best supporting actor for Lynch. Do you think, A, it's valid, and B, is there any chance in hell he gets nominated? Well, who is he, who is he up against? I liked it. I thought he, he was really strong. I thought the shit, he was integral. We needed him because we didn't have Coop. This entire, almost the entire fucking series. And so he served as like a surrogate Coop. And he never turned bad, which is good. But uh, yeah, I think he did a great job, especially since he's so old. Um, but he played himself, essentially. So I don't know. I mean, the competition may be too stiff, is all I'm thinking. So here we is. got, yeah, we've got uh, uh, Tim Roth. So... Yeah. When we saw his name in the credits, um, I speculated perhaps since David Bowie had passed away that, and we knew that Philip Jeffries was going to be a part of the story, that maybe he was going to take over um, the Philip Jeffries yeah. role. Well, he's but, got the accent. Close. Well, he's doing a Southern accent. Well, that's right. He's doing a Southern accent like Bowie was doing. Right? Yeah, I didn't like him at the beginning like this. I was like, yeah, when I saw him, but they really grew on me. I ended up loving them. And at the end when they died, their, their scene, I was a little sad. When they I was hooked from the beginning. I loved yeah. his lines. Like he, they love each uh, other. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, and they've got this kind of weird, weird open relationship, yeah. but uh, his line, let's go play two, or let's play two, when uh, uh, Mr. C says that there's a double header, you know, meaning two mm-hmm. hits in Vegas. I love that line. I love his line reading. And I was hooked. I thought he was great. I loved his accent. I loved just their little interplay. Um, I love the fact that after Jennifer Jason Lee, Chantal kisses Mr. C, she gives him a bag of Cheetos, which she, she has in her back pocket. Yeah, it's like, like a little Garmin endearment, Bazia. right? Like yeah, for the road, a little yeah, uh, road trip food. Snacky Garmin Bazia. <laughs> right? Yeah. But uh, so, okay, so Lynch is, is uh, Cole is telling Diane here that he wants to you know, go to Buckhorn and will you come along? But um, do you see like his hand on her shoulder? You know, he's mm-hmm. always very... He does like you know movements with his hands. He's very like you know gesticulating. Yeah. He's yeah. doing this kind of like iriv, like the spiritual mound, like this kind of you know on her shoulder, like touching it. And uh, it's not just a, a normal hand on the shoulder. And uh, do you think that he's like kind of like you know not feeling her out, he's but t- uh, literally feeling her out? Well, no, but because he's very intuitive, like Cooper, that he already suspects her is what I'm saying because he went her hug you know, that we find out later that uh, uh, he suspected something was wrong with her, that he's still trying to feel her out, so to speak. Yeah, maybe the original Diane like, would, like, would cringe or whatever whenever anybody touched her at all. So that was probably a little test. There you go. Yeah. So she She's has a, a change of outfit here. We didn't see any luggage with her. And she has like about eight different wardrobe changes, right? Yeah, um, she does. She's a very stylish girl. Well, yeah, but we don't see any luggage or anything like that. Well, so not right there, saying. but it's probably stowed below or maybe up. But she thought somewhere. she was going right back to Philly. That's what I'm saying. Oh, that's true. Well, maybe she goes shopping in Buckhorn. Maybe there's some like boutiques. Where was that scene? Well, they got to cut something, Tom. It was 18 hours. <laughs> they want to go that far. <laughs> so, yeah, they're going back to. So, and then I guess there's another phone call from Warden Murphy. And uh, so he gets to see exposition in the show. So that's the one real issue that I have with the show is. 
kind of the exposition, these things, and especially with the Blue Rose Task Force. Yeah, I was about to say the Blue Rose Task Force, they they always stayed static. Like they I thought they would be have been investigating and moving around so that all the things that they discovered in the Buckhorn uh, hotel room, which is like four several episodes, they stay in there. They could have done it like out on the, in the field. I thought it would have right. been a bit more interesting, but maybe they were You think budget. all of that stuff, all of the equipment in the hotel room and everything was designed to try to track the uh, Mr. C, Diane phone conversations because <laughs> our- I don't think so. That giant mainframe hardware, that yeah. doesn't make any sense. I mean, I guess that doesn't seem logical. But well, sure. Albert seemed to know whenever she was getting messages. It's cracking the so code, why yeah. are they, What? If, I mean, is there another case that they're, uh, another Blue Rose case? That I didn't examine that mainframe very, very well, so I don't know. It could have been a bunch of CB radios stacked on top of each other for all I know. So <laughs> Albert's the senior was just like listening to it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Okay, Mr. C is talking to Duncan Todd. Did, is Dun- did Duncan, Todd at, uh, Duncan Todd at any point ever leave his chair or his desk? No. He was always sitting. Until he died. Right? He died on his desk as well. He died. I never stood. <laughs> he never. He didn't he, even that's fall what I'm over, saying. Right? We, t- we thought maybe he doesn't even have a bottom half. It's, he it's is the, of, he's a part of the chair and the table. Like That's a part of his thing. This is the chair. The it also of, reminds yeah. me of Mulholland Drive with that Mr. Rope character played by Michael Anderson. Um, it was that kind of... That's true. It's a kind of bizarre studio head... Uh, but I remember when uh, we first saw this episode, you were wondering if the uh, the farmers back there were just taking a nap. Okay, you did have to bring that up, didn't yeah. you? you did. <laughs> I didn't, how did I not know they that did. they were dead? Well, there was no blood. There was no the blood, you're right. They looked like they were sleeping like a bunch Narcoleptic. Of yeah, they were yeah, just like all know. zonked out. <laughs> I'd love just like just watch Tim Ross or uh, his body language. He's like kind of hunched over. He's... Uh, just he's just an interesting character like i said i was hooked from the very beginning and just uh he's their boss man and uh, he knows his wife is sleeping with him and he just seems like a pleasant guy even though he's a cold-blooded cold-blooded killer and uh yeah didn't they like write these these uh, these two characters were written in when they went from 10 to 18 episodes like wasn't it probably mr c that would have been doing all this stuff in the original episode script and then they built that out because they wanted to write something for tim robbins or tim roth and Jennifer Jason Lee. No, I think they were probably in the script, but didn't the, wasn't there a, a scene in the the Blu-ray or was it an article that we read where Tim Roth was calling Lynch constantly or texting him, asking yeah, him for like yeah. more the scenes? Did he write that character for him? I don't know. It's a good question. I, don't, I have no idea. Tim Roth has never been in a Lynch film before, so I don't know. Maybe has he practiced uh, transcendental meditation? Is he on the payroll or is he just someone that Lynch know. respects? It's a good question. Battling Bud that we're seeing here, watching this scene. He at the very end he gets like uh, he does his like fist like he's the, the the battling bud comes out if you notice at the end because I think he's uh, suspicious of the Fuscos and why they're interrogating him about Dougie and not being as forthcoming. Yeah, were they on the case? Were they put on the case to bring Dougie down or something? What was the the whole? Did they? The, what was their deal in the end? Their deal was nothing. Remember, they yeah, go the ahead deal? and just take the information and There's go like, deal. oh, he's a special agent. Like, what There really was no purpose at all. There's not a purpose at all. There's no purpose. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, with with plot-wise, there's no purpose. Other than to give us the information, I think the most important thing that we find out is that Dougie was um, – there's no record of him prior than, uh, to 1997. That's the oh, most that's interesting true. That's thing. A good, that's yeah. a good piece. And wasn't there also just going to be one Fusco, then they made three? There was two, and then – he wanted the third. Lynch wanted to do the third, uh, hire the third guy to make him, uh, make him a trio. And so when it comes to like our dream theory, do you but... think this is really happening? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting though. There's a point here soon this? when Cole goes into when they arrive at the morgue 
of the uh, at Buckhorn in Buckhorn, and meet Mackley and Knox and Diane's there. Um, the first thing Cole says is the waiting room, which makes me immediately think of you know the Black Lodge, the original um, series, the final episode where the man from another place says this is the waiting room. Um, because what we've been talking about is this whole kind of Dougie storyline is just kind of an extension of the the Black Lodge through Cooper's subconscious mind. Yeah, it does seem like, you know, when he's sitting in here with Janie E, like uh, at the police station, like he's just staring off into space and, you know, it's like he kind of is like in the lodge again. He's just sitting in the waiting room. It's just his dream. Yeah, he's in a waiting room right here. Yeah, with Janie E. Yeah, That's probably why nothing happens with the Fuscos because it's just a dream. Well, what we're going to do at some point, we talked about this. We're going to like play it straight. We're going to go ahead and analyze the show. and Well, not the show, but Cooper's plight. What we're talking about right here is if it's straight, if it's actually well, really Well, if we happening. did that, then it would just be like, this would be a really boring scene. Really boring <laughs> what do you mean? This one in particular or, or what? Just, I guess this is just giving the Dougie information about like being born in 97. So that's the whole purpose of this scene then, right? If it's well, not a dream. Saying, well, no, it's not just that we get the info about Ike the Spike. And, uh, I mean, this, these, these characters, I mean, we talked about it lasts like eight minutes this scene. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. This is what we're talking about. This is Lynch, that classic scene in the DVD where the script supervisor goes like, you know, we're going to cut right this scene. And he freaks out and he goes, you know, who gives a shit how long a fucking scene is. So, I mean, yeah, he doesn't. I'm just going to be honest. I wasn't a huge fan of the Fuscos. I didn't really understand their point. That was one of the, one of the things. No, I I'm not a huge about. fan of them either. It's just. No offense to the actual actors. They did a fine job. I think they did a fine job too. It just plays too long. It just goes on too long. These scenes go on way too long. The only thing I really, really liked about this scene is the Dougie info and the uh, the music. We finally get music in the background, and it's the Deer Meadow Shuffle from Firewalk With Me. Is really kind of the Red Heels? That's of Audrey. Oh yeah, that red heels. Yeah, yeah, right. And the and the the uh, wall socket, right? Well, I do like the Fuscos are they're a jovial bunch. That's funny. Yeah, but I don't know, the jokes just, aren't that great. Yeah, but no. this little pan shot of them and it's it was like, more than that. It's like panning back and forth and back. It's like we're this is a, <laughs> thinking we're watching Barry Lyndon or something, and this is just nothing. Nothing's happening. Yeah, that's the problem. And this is coming off of part eight, which was this iconic episode a masterpiece like you said it's going to be a part of the smithsonian at some point and here you get these new fans or the people that are jazzed about the show again and uh and and like i said there's some scenes here this first half the second half is much in my opinion it's better and the better pacing more interesting but this first half especially this whole section in the vegas police department just goes on way too long i mean all you need to know is the Dougie info and um, and the Ike the Spike. You want to you know go ahead and get rid of that plot line, so be it. But the scene goes on for like seven minutes. It's too long. Yeah, it's still going on. I would just say that there, it's just it's a part of his dream, so that's it. That's all we can – that's the only explanation for this thing. That's the only explanation. Sometimes parts of his dreams are very boring. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes okay, so if like, it's part of his dream – How did he conjure? That's it. How did he – so why are these people conjured? This whole thing. Like he, so is it a, a kind of like a, uh, a lodge manufactured dream? It's not Cooper conjuring these images of Fusco's and Ike the Spike and everything Rancho Rosso. The lodge itself has created this, this kind of virtual reality of Vegas, this dreamscape as we call it, for Cooper. And he just, yeah. he just thinks it's a reality. Yeah, but these cops aren't like assholes, you know what I'm saying? They're like a bunch of nice, jovial, kind of down-home, 1950s Americanic kind of guys, kind of like Coop. You know what I'm saying? They're not like, you know, gritty, you know? So it does kind of fit into like, it's like they're, the Lodge is playing off the archetypes that are in his mind um, so that he didn't necessarily create these guys, but he's created this world and they're just kind of living in it. 
but nothing's really well, also Maybe it's like a part too. of a video game, like he's waiting for a clue. Sometimes you like go to, I mean, sometimes there's just dead, there's red herrings and dead ends. Sometimes some of the characters aren't going to give you the next piece of information. So Well, it's also, it's because it's the it's good the Dale in the Lodge. If it's not a whole Dale Cooper, it makes sense that whatever dreamscape that we're dealing with here, if that is the case, that it's it's more benign. It's 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 because it's we're, we're dealing with the good Cooper, only the good qualities within Cooper. If it was you know him integrated with his shadow self, then we'd probably get a little bit more of a grittier um, uh, uh, Vegas. But it's that's not the case because this whole section is uh, unique compared to Buckhorn, Twin Peaks, Odessa, all the other locations which have this kind of like dread. Um, and this darkness that kind of just hover over it, and uh, but Vegas doesn't really have any of that. Well, we do get scenes like this one where he's about to see the uh, the socket, and so there's moments of tension and great suspense to where you're like, "What the fuck's going to happen next?" We have no idea, you know. And so you're waiting on the edge of your seat here. We just saw part eight. We see the electrical light socket. He's focusing on it. And we're waiting for something to happen, and nothing happens in this particular scene. Well, but yeah, that's why a part not? of the tension. Like when's when's the lodge construct going to break down finally? When, you know, I'm saying, when's he gonna move on from this, like, Vegas, like, uh, you know, purgatory he's in? But he doesn't have. It's not open right now. The, the light sockets are, <laughs> they're not giving him any information, so he's still stuck here. But we're well, waiting. yeah, the scene would have played perfectly with the Fuscos and even with Battling Bud. You know, he leaves, and then they mention the Dougie's information and the 1997 no record prior, and then intercut with Cooper with the woman with the heels and the wall socket because Dougie is connected to the wall socket where Cooper exited from at Rancho Rosa, you can condense that whole scene down to about two minutes and have a really, I wouldn't say tense scene, but it, I think it would have, it would have you know, played better because all that other stuff was kind of filler. It just wasn't that interesting. Yeah, the shot really after just, the shot after here where they're in the parking lot too, like that was really unnecessary. Like the Fusco's Oh, the taillight. Just, yeah, yeah. The Fusco, yeah, what was that about? Why there? Yeah, I, yeah, I think just, they're just that, filling out the hour. Well, I mean, it's but why why do that? Why make a conscious decision of like, okay, I mean, I, I don't understand that. It's not part, it's not connective tissue. And I understand that there's a lot of parts of the show that aren't connected to the plot. But these particular characters are so far removed from kind of the, you know, the, the center of, you know, Twin Peaks, The Return. They're really on the outer circle, concentric circle of characters that spending any kind of additional time with these characters is it is it, superfluous unless there's really some great gag or something but that isn't a great gag and he shoots it like as a long shot it's just it's, it's very curious well here they are going to get at the spike like the spikes of their drink is whiskey yeah and he makes a mention to like you know he's a message to tj um that you know he failed his mission miss, uh, mission basically and he's uh he's taken off but you would think that he would have taken off immediately because he chose to shoot at Cooper in public, basically, and there's, you know, he's him being of short stature. There probably wasn't a lack of, you know, witnesses to, you know, who this was. I would have left left town like immediately. Why yeah, I would have got. A, I would not have picked up my extra spikes and my uh, my bags. I would have kept going. <laughs> it's got my car. Right. Right. Did you like his little groan? His little makes a little. Yeah, I did kind of like that. Up. Yeah, it's cute. And with the sheriff station here, like like this really is kind of foreshadowing the events of part seventeen. Uh, that there's this kind of heavenly light glow, yeah, glow. through the yeah. trees. That this really is kind of this this epicenter of, of good, as the log lady would say, the good man of, of, of you know Twin Peaks. Maybe it's the uh, retcon of Laura not dying, slowly enveloping the whole ep- season. Well, yeah, I think that's that's very valid. Yeah, yeah. 
at this point, we don't get any other references to her murder. Um, that's it. And really, the only other reference we get to her before, you know, Carrie Page is the log lady saying that Laura is the one. Well, here's the five-minute scene. This is one of my favorite five-minute scenes in the entire <laughs> season. So right Maybe. on top of each other, right? We've got the yeah. Vegas. And now the over a chair. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> but you had an interesting line is that this really is, this shows the sweetness of Andy and Lucy and maybe how they've been able to have a successful relationship for 25 years. Well, it, sh- years. it shows their flawed self. They're, very both, they're both still immature children, you know, still fighting around the play box or the sandbox over the toy. And so that goes back and forth. And then at the very end, one of them compromises and then they turn it around on each other and the other one compromises. So it shows you that they truly love each other. They're still flawed human beings, but that's why they stick together. They yeah. compromise. It's all about compromise, Tom. Yeah, but You too a- could be Andy and Lucy if you could just compromise. You just can't. Do you find it uh, interesting that he has his office directly behind hers? Yeah, that, that would see a lot of work would not be going getting done there. I'd be a little like frustrated with the a front lot of desk. Yeah, he would have his office. There'd be a lot of. Traffic I would like there. him because she, I would like to be her because then he's just spying on her. Like she's like emailing a lover a paramour. So, you know, he's just <laughs> checking it out. He's looking over his shoulder. She's still in contact with Andy. Dick can be a little fascist. All these years. Yeah. Andy, Andy fascist? No, I don't, fascist. So. Oh. I don't think so. No, killed Jock. He didn't kill Jacques. He shot Jacques in self-defense. Well, it's a good dead shot right in the chest. He's got the cold no, blood kill him. He shot him in the arm. It was the arm? How did he get him right in the chest? He got him in the arm? Yes, Dude, he shot him in the him, arm. I thought he plugged him right in the chest. Remember in the, the Jacques we had the we'll have to go to the tape on cast? That. Yeah. That was yeah, just he, one thing, though. I thought he got him right in the chest. Plugged him right in the chest. If he got him in the chest, he'd we'll be to go dead. Back. Let's go back and look. Well, it was Andy Bullet, so it wasn't fully, you know. Probably a twenty-two. <laughs> no. we're just filling folks this is like a nine minute scene here where they're just going with the well i'm colorblind what are the colored chairs tom that they're arguing over well she even says it she says it's red? beige it's beige? beige and red yeah did they choose she red at the end the, of course she yeah she wants the beige yeah, and he liked the red yeah and then we get a, a scene of johnny horn here which i thought was actually kind of funny oh yeah this um, is wild yeah that's, yeah that's our first this is the first time we've seen johnny Excuse me? Have we already seen Johnny How Are You Today? That was already, we've already seen that episode. No, that's, I think that's the next episode. Okay, yeah. So this is the first time Because he's in his, Johnny. yeah, he's got the neck brace and everything. This is where he slams against the wall. And I think originally that this scene, or maybe not this scene, but this location, that there was additional, well, there was, you know, in, in the script, there was a scene with Audrey. I think she was supposed to be in this scene. Now, I, and I don't know if replacing Sylvia, her mom, or just there as well, but when Audrey, apparently, Sherilyn Fenn found out what her character, what, you know, you know entailed in the series, I think she freaked out, and she refused to do it. Well, we know she freaked out. Requested changes, yeah. yeah. So um, so I think that she, she never made it on location, so all of her footage was shot um, in L.A., you know, at the sound stages. So I think that the because the actor who played Johnny is not the original actor from the original series. I think they had got the original actor, but with schedules they had to go with another guy because of Sherilyn Penn. I like to look good, look as Johnny stunt double, big burly character. Yeah. Well, here we go. Now we're at the Briggs household. Here comes the everybody's going to like uh, talk to Betty. We got Hawk. We got uh, Truman and Bobby. They're coming yeah, to. What are they coming to do? Well, they wanted to talk about you know Major Briggs with Cooper, so they're investigating the whole. Laura Palmer, you know, you know, the log lady's message to Hawk, which is led to uh, the possibility of two Coopers because of Laura's diaries. And then 
the uh, the major Briggs knowing about something. Oh, but wasn't it because Bobby told them that like that he Coop was the, Mr. C was the last one to see Mr. Major Briggs alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. why they're coming here. That's just, they're gonna come yeah. see Betty, and uh, this is a great scene. And there's a couple of things here is that that Betty is wearing a purple shirt. I don't think there are I, there might be other instances. I don't know, but the purple then the return I equate to that purple ocean. You know, the White Lodge yeah. is open consciousness and with her being the spouse of major Briggs, who's his beacon of light um it's interesting that she's wearing purple one of the few characters to wear purple and then when we first see her she kind of raises her hand like she knows what you know they're there what you know they're they're there for like the fireman he raises his hand i think to andy uh in part 14 so there's some kind of connective tissue here with Major Briggs, the fireman, the White Lodge here with Betty. And it's, I think it was a great scene with Charlotte Stewart who goes way back with Lynch to Eraserhead. She played Mary X. And, uh, you know, she was only on set one day. And this is a great scene. And uh, I love the Angelo composition uh, that plays here in the background. It really helps the scene. Yeah, like the Briggs chair. I wonder if, like, Brig, the Briggs had visits her and stuff, like in her dreams or anything like that. I don't know. But it, 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 so basically what's happening here is that Betty tells them that the day before he died, Major Briggs died, um, Cooper came to see him. And after Cooper left, Mr. C at that point, that he told Betty about this day, 25 years in the future, and gave her what is in the chair with those instructions. So my question to you is, how the hell did he you know, figure that one out? He prophesied it, Tom. <laughs> okay. Okay. So he did. Okay. So you're saying that he had a vision, or yes, I think he basically he would, maybe he uh, yeah he had a vision of uh, when he went out in the woods and sat in the throne that he saw like some visions. Like I think you tweeted about that, like with Andy. Like maybe he got an Andy uh, download primer, little slide uh, PowerPoint presentation from the lodge, and this was a part of it, a prophecy, right. and he had to fulfill it. Fulfill it. That's what I exactly think. I mean, it's like that is that connects to that scene because he says at some point in the original series that he really believes that he was taken to the white lodge now obviously things have changed in the 25 years lynch and frost have kind of uh, elaborated on the mythology but um there, there's still that kind of connective tissue with that um other than that major Briggs. the only other question is is that major briggs is is doing like you know is time traveling a la philip jeffries that's what it is. He's time traveling. Maybe in his dreams, he's uh, you know. Well, but is he time traveling because he is his body is of like you know uh, is in his forties, so he was doing all that time traveling within like a year or so, basically because his body. Unless he, there's another body of, of his. But he prophesied like, all this stuff before he died. Before his his body disappeared, right? Well, yeah, but his body ju- he just died here in you know this story takes place I think in twenty what fifteen twenty sixteen. So his body just died, but this happened in 1990. So the question is, how did he get from Twin Peaks, uh, faking his own death, to hibernating in the zone? Was he hibernating for 25 years? The question is, I don't think so, because he was at all those He's going adventures. Yeah, these people have adventures. That's the season four But he hasn't aged. That's the thing. That's what I'm saying. He's time traveling. You're going through the time travel hyperloop all the time. Well, you're going speed of light, right? You don't age. There's no the speed of light. Still, I know, I mean, but like in science fiction movies, if they say like you age, remember it was in 2001, there's a lot of those. If you go to speed of light or something, you don't age. And so that's what they, uh, they put that into some science Yeah, but fiction. Cooper just uh, asked Philip Jeffries, closed his eyes, and just you know magically appeared in, in 1989. I would assume that Major Briggs is doing something very similar. Because there is, 
a connection between Briggs and Philip Jeffries. Because I think, I think you could go the, into like the Jackrabbit's Palace portal in 1989 or two, 1990 and pop out of the Jackrabbit or pop out of the zone in 2016. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. you can do that. Yeah. Well, here, this is a good scene where we start to finally see that maybe Diane is not who we think she is, right? We start seeing some strange cracks in her veneer in this episode. Well, this was the first time, right? Yeah, the where first we, time. We're she, like, ooh. Ooh. Like well, that, that was it, yeah. Because yeah. Mr. C sent her the text message around the dinner table. The conversation is lively. Yeah, like, and now oh. she just got it. Yeah. So do you think that was a code? Yeah, it's like um, the Manchurian Candidate. It's like the Queen of Hearts or whatever. I think it was. Yeah, like the, right. Yeah. Trigger. Well, because she has a very interesting reaction when she gets that message. Like, because what does she do after this? I mean, she doesn't really... She's I think he's like, maybe with, he wants her to like, you know, be aware of what's happening. Like she's a mole inside the a sleeper cell inside Gordon Cole who's looking for Mr. C. You know what I'm saying? Like she's going to report back to him. That was just like a Well, kid, a it kid. could very well be that what they're going to be discussing is the coordinates, coordinates. because that's what right. he wants. Right. So be very uh, uh, open to this conversation uh, because I want what they're discussing, which is basically the coordinates. Do you think uh, Major Briggs ever got a proper burial, Tom? <laughs> a military funeral yeah his body was ever laid to rest no he already had one in 1990 I know but here he is he's half his headless body was it ever laid to rest or is it still like you know in a freezer in like uh, some government lab yeah they're probably still like dissecting it trying to figure yeah. out what the hell's going on because there is whose body is travel. in his grave yeah, yeah. who did That's he true. use I mean whose bones who's the one that uh, I mean because I had no to brother. find the, the Oh, Renault brother. Which, what which, which Renault 16. brother? <laughs> the one that doesn't dr- dr- drunk drives. <laughs> has a body. Dies. Jean-Pierre. Yeah, Jean-Pierre, one, perhaps. Yeah. Um, I love this banter between Albert and Constance, too. Like, almost immediately, she notices yeah, him. She must have a thing for, like, bald guys. Because uh, as soon as he walked in, she kind of gave him a look. And uh, this... She's into the king and I. <laughs> You're better. Why do you say oh, Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner. Okay. I would have a hard time flirting over a dead, headless dead corpse myself. That's just me. Yeah, but these are these are professionals. Yeah, you know this is they're what hardened. they do. They're grizzled. So here's like more exposition here with Cole and, and Albert. They're like thinking out loud. Let's think out loud. Purpose. Yeah. This is kind yeah, of this yeah, is one of the yeah. first times they ever say let's think out loud. And they're letting us go along with them. Like very. Right, very that's the very first weird. time they mentioned yeah. Twin Peaks. Yeah, they didn't get much privacy. They said let's get some privacy. They go one foot away. He's screaming. They're just it's just the Blue Rose Task Force is so poorly slow run. to poorly run, to kind of <laughs> kind poorly of manage. figure things out. Yeah, I mean, I just a sinkhole tax dollars. It's, it's got to be tied into like what you were saying with this kind of maybe shifting timeline because of the whole thing with uh, Cole's dream and you know him and Albert not remembering certain aspects of Philip Jeffries. You would think that they would remember that. That would be like very vivid. Uh, especially pointing at Cooper, going like, "Who do you think this is here?" Especially what's what's going on is that, you know, or if they're just part of this this dream, uh, whether it's Cooper, Laura, the fireman, Judy, you know, whoever, that that's the reason why they're acting, you know, the way that they are. Because in the fire walk with me, when we first get the blue rose, I mean, they're like, like Cole knows right off the bat, as soon as Teresa Banks is murdered, this is a blue rose case. He gets Chet Desmond, Sam Stanley. They go, they got Lil. Um, it's just, it's, it seems more efficient that they know what's going on. And you would think in 25 years, if they, they would have, what, I wouldn't say dumber. It's just maybe because like they keep having encounters with major Briggs and other, like when he's time traveling, they have, he, he like kind of muddles their memories every time he encounters them. 
And so it kind of makes them worse. They, they're well, that's a less. great point. Is that is that possible? That well, yeah, because he gets muddled, right? So when he does it, he can't remember what's happening. And then also everyone around him gets muddled as well. And also think of this. If he's like time traveling all over the place, right? He's changing like realities. And so one memory of this could not could get fuzzy because of something else he's doing in another dimension. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of that he's mudding the waters. Yeah, but I just I always Memory-wise. took it that Briggs wasn't really kind of interacting with people, but he probably was. But the whole thing with Cooper saving Laura, that's like a huge event. That's preventing. Yeah, was he from in dying. on the two? He was in on the two birds with one stone uh, plotting, right? Well, I think that's part of this. this They'll sit around this the double R or timeline. Like, yeah, because we never got that. I mean, even though we didn't get the three of them ever together in the original series, I'm okay with that. But the idea of Judy, which was never referenced in the original series, and Cooper going like, hey, if something should happen to me, um, you know, do everything that you can to find me because I'm trying to get two birds with one stone. That he's really, that whole exposition dump is just kind of contrary to everything that we really <laughs> kind of knew from the original series and kind of retconned. And so but can't I you imagine that, a scene where like, you know, Lynch and, uh, you know, Coop and Major Briggs like out fishing in season one? Plotting the two birds with one stone theory. Yeah, I would love to see that scene. That'd yeah. be great. See that? Yeah. yeah, didn't happen though. I love the scene with Jerry. I mean, anything with Jerry. Yeah, I could. I see. I I would have had like. I felt just like this before. Of... I've tripped out on my foot. Before. <laughs> but I would have rather had this eight minute scene, or instead of the the Fusco's, I'd rather have Jerry like in the woods for eight minutes. I wouldn't mind that. It's more compelling. It's 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 got a, a tone, a mystery that, uh, and it's it's more interesting. Now here's one scene I really do like. Chad having his Wait. Thanksgiving dinner in the conference room. Wait, he's like two. nine entrees. He's got two, <laughs> he's got two and dinners. And he's got a couple sides and he's got a dessert as well, I believe. Right. And his, and Can you imagine he's taking up like the microwave for like an hour for heating all this up? Yeah. And uh, is, in cool. one of the bowls, it looked like kind of uh, like cream corn. Like or cream corn. I thought it was pudding. Cream corn. You oh, maybe it's pudding. Yeah. 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 Thing, like it so. could be a dessert. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so this whole thing, this really is like boy. they know that he's guilty of being a dirty cop. Yes, and uh, because Hawk wouldn't even get the door for him. That was my favorite scene, or part of this scene, is when he's got no hands to open the door, and he's like a little help here. And Hawk is very like <laughs> slow. He doesn't want to help. He doesn't, he doesn't want to help at all. Yeah. Well, that's good. They're not solving a lot of crimes in the city or in the town, so at least they're they're getting their uh, internal affairs going on. They're they're busting the rats within their system. That's good. Yeah, but we really that's that's one thing is that why even have a dirty cop in Twin Peaks? When he really serves no purpose, the only real thing with his character for the red subplot, Tom, the rich, compelling red subplot. <laughs> it was cut. You mean the one that was abandoned yeah, after part seven? Completely cut. But yeah, with the, the Shelley Love yeah. angle, there was a whole bunch. The triangle yeah, going or, on. Yeah. That's a whole season. <laughs> Untapped. So that's why. Was, so they couldn't cut him completely out of it. But you know, he served a purpose. He took some bribes. But he also, he was the one, he, he pulled a gun on Andy in uh, part 17. That's right. He was in part of the, but, like, the Dirty Dozen or whatever at the, in the uh, bottom of the jail cell in the finale. I liked him. I liked his, the, the, does he get shot? Does he die? No, he just, I think he gets knocked. Uh, Andy just Freddy, throws him in the jail or something? Yeah. No, Freddie punches the jail cell and it hits uh, Chad and he falls down. Oh. Right? Well, that's yeah, that's Okay. So uh, the first thing after Chad leaves is that Truman tells Bobby to open a window. It's like the stench. He's probably in there farting. He's flatulent. (laughs) I love this bit, too, about like Bobby. He knows what's going on. He lets Frank kind of just try to figure out what this this thing is, this tube is. And he's sitting there in the corner. We don't see it. But we slowly pan over to him. And Bobby's got that mischievous grin on his face, just watching him kind of struggle with this. 
And it's kind of like that old Bobby that we knew from the original series, that, that little rebel. So always, you know, a little part of inside Bobcat. of him. Yeah, Bobcat, right? Um, he probably doesn't solve a lot of crimes and, like, you know, get a lot of uh, callers. So this is probably something he could contribute. So Why would you say that? Him. Well, you know, Bobby was an underachiever. I can't see him by being the cop of the month. Do you? Yes, I could see him being cop of the month. He's changed. Seeing how he reacted to like the kid, the kid with the gun and the screaming lady puking up, uh, all that was just he's just kind of standing there. <laughs> you're just bearing witness to it, but he wasn't really taking command. What, <laughs> what would you do? Uh, I would arrest them all, Tom. Would have hauled them all in. <laughs> Big Patty Mac, kid too. <laughs> the bug girl for sure, <laughs> and the screaming you lady. Would, yeah, all you of would. Them. And Norma, just have, for the uh, case, you might have been on the conspiracy. You would not have called uh, ambulance. That too. Teams. Yeah, would have got that. No, you would have thrown the bug girl in jail. No, the bug girl, yeah, jail. not in jail. I would have got taken to the medic first. But then, oh, you know, oh, would, have, would have had them all in for questioning, though. <laughs> I love this scene. This is a great scene. Now, there's yeah, the like mill. Do you kid. see the mill in the background? Oh, uh, yeah, that's like what, the less vestige of the mill. It's burned that's down. It? That's it. Just like one smokestack. That's it's it. smaller. But that did looks you tiny. think that it was so close to the sheriff's station? No, I didn't. That looks like a tiny. Is it a band? <laughs> How could that be the mill? Dude, it doesn't that's look it. anything like the mill. Well, no, that's the, what they used to shoot the exterior. But um, when the show, like during the, show, the run or whatever, I, they you know they shot it in L.A. I think they gave it like you know some distance. They never put it in close proximity to the sheriff's station. But uh, for some reason, Lynch decided to show it because that's where it exists. It exists that close to the sheriff's station. And I really love the little Major Briggs note that he gets out. I think this is like the high point of the entire episode. I think. I still think it's the Hastings scene, mystery. but I love this. The whole thing, we got another 253. We got the time and the distance. Yeah. And we get the little Judy experiment Judy, symbol yeah, yeah. Um, under the moon. It's always under the moon. It's, it's actually hunt. kind of denote night. Like Judy well, yeah, there like, was like that red herring. Like, what was it like? Was it Sarah? Somebody said, like, there's someone under the moon at something Pearl Lake, or there was a whole about Hawk. Blue, Pine, Mo- Blue Pine Mountain. Yeah, right? who said that? What was that all about? That was about? the log lady to uh, Hawk. She, what did she say? Watch out for that one I told you about on Blue Pine Mountain. The one, and I think that she was talking about that symbol. But it's interesting that when she says that, she says, watch for that one I told you about. And in the previous time that Hawk was speaking with with Margaret, she mentioned Laura is the one, like the one. So, you know, I'm not saying that Laura is part of that symbol, but it's interesting that she used that phrase, the one, with the evil and supposedly the, the light represented by Laura. Would that mean Laura might be Judy? Is that what you're trying to That's, say? I'm just what I'm saying. I'm just, you know. There's some people that think that, right? Like some people have, like, taken that theory as the takeaway from season three is that somehow Laura is Judy. Have you heard that? It's Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. I, I, you know, you it's – I don't think that Laura is Judy. See, I'm starting to think that Judy isn't necessarily, like, a like a, uh, like a person. More whether a place or – feeling? Uh, no, not a feeling. Or State of mind? It's, it's more about the – kind of the children of Judy that you uh, posited that Judy isn't one person like that Sarah isn't Judy like there is something inside of Sarah that whether it's that bug which originated from Judy so I think Judy is kind of separate I think Judy is uh, not a person I think there's like there's many little Judy's the children of Judy's like Philip Jeffries was looking for Judy in Fire Walk With Me um, and you know Philip Jeffries told Mr. C you know you've already met Judy I think there's many Judys. So Laura could, you know, be Judy or well. Maybe Sarah's Laura's a Judy child, one of the children of Judy. Then yes. the daughter, that she is the uh, granddaughter of Judy, or something, you know, what I'm saying like she's the, you know, she's the niece, the of niece Judy, of something. Actually, yeah, yeah the grandniece. Twice removed. Here's one of the greatest scenes. This one is, of the greatest unheralded scenes in the entire season, don't you think? And completely improvised, not part of the <laughs> script. 
this now this is this works. <laughs> Gordon and wants to smoke, but he won't say it. He looks just like Jimmy Stewart. Look. Yeah, he's like Jimmy Stewart. Like, I love that. He's just and Tammy's posing. This is a great. Yeah, and I loved how when Lynch was walking out with Tammy, the door hit him, and you could see just for a split second, like it, it might have just thrown like Lynch, the person, out of character for a split second. But there's no cuts to this, and he goes right into this. I love this. I mean, he. I'm trying really to count the is, times how many times he goes from her face to the cigarette to her face to the cigarette without saying anything. Like I think twelve it's like times, like fourteen it's times. Great. Right? And Tammy, doesn't Tammy, kind of say like Gordon, like no, like she's like well, she's kind of pissed it. off at him, yeah, because she doesn't yeah. want him to smoke. This is just an incredible scene that that this could have lasted like twenty minutes, and I would I would I don't know about that. that. They could have like I think they maxed okay, out. Maybe not. <laughs> They just smoke like five cigarettes in a row. That's it. They're just all chaining. Right. But anyone who it knows works. Lynch, this is like absolutely hilarious because... I feel you know, like there's not many, much dialogue in this episode. There's a lot of moments like this. Well, no, there is a lot of dialogue. You're not paying attention, I don't think. It doesn't um, feel like a lot of dialogue. No, it's just... Uh, there are these... And everything that is these... is exposition. There's exposition. Yeah. That's it. Right. Yeah. yeah, they used to smoke together, right? Back in the day. Tammy's so giving they... uh, Diane some daggers, man. <laughs> what well, was Tammy the one that was actually with Gordon drinking Bordeaux like in part whatever I think it was so. in six when yeah. Albert went looking for her I think they have some sort of romantic relationship they seem yeah, like, like mentor yeah. protege and uh, oh here we go this is oh, it oh yeah this you're the, right this is the best scene now how come he wouldn't get uh, uh, Matthew Lillard best support well, I guess he didn't, wasn't nah. on screen enough for best supporting actor. I don't know he was great he's a, he's a cameo it's like a cameo essentially he was in four episodes but like four, four scenes parts. Well, like about eight scenes. No, Some people I mean, play much more. There's a lot of other. There's a lot God, of competition. So, I mean, the parallels with like Leland too. Like you know, Leland had that great interrogation scene. Remember where? Yes. He's like she's like yes, woo, yes, woo. yes. Like, <laughs> well, no, that was the other one. No, the first. Oh, that's when he gets when, caught. Yeah, he confesses. Yeah, but, but that first one was like, did you kill Jacques? The twitching eye. Like, well, yeah, he's really yes, true. Yeah. yes. That remember that that whole scene started like in the wall. Through like the yeah the little like, hole in the yeah the, the, the yeah, and yeah you hear like you know daddy daddy that's a great and scene. then it comes out he, oh that was such a great moment so he did really does he really is like kind of the evokes a little bit of the Leland Palmer but this is a, a, an exposition dump as well but we're getting all this information about the zone which will come to fruition in part eleven which um, was completely unexpected I mean this is an alternate dimension this was a blog that this character wrote about and he met major Briggs and you know, that's where all hell went, you know, where everything went, you know, to hell with the woodsman and presumably Mr. C, but I'd like still... to, to see Hastings like believing, you know, the believing Hastings storyline when he's believing it's all real, like chasing the zone. I'd like to see what that was all about. Oh, you mean like in like actually yeah, seeing... really have seen it yeah, to see yeah. him doing that. Well, didn't we think we were going to get that like scene for his head? I always talked about the, well, no, I was, I was getting, like, Lost Highway vibes with the whole Hastings-Ruth uh, subplot, storyline. And what I thought was going to happen was, like, in Lost Highway, where uh, Fred Madison, like, was kind of, like, you know, telling his wife, uh, Renee, about the dream he had. It was the dream about killing her, but it stopped short. And then we saw it later on in kind of this flashback. Um, and I thought we were going to get, at some point, was a scene... Not necessarily it was going to be like uh, uh, 
like uh, him talking about it and then showing the visual. I thought it was going to be some kind of like like he does, like he's in his house and he opens up like his bedroom door and he sees what went down. There's going to be some kind of Lynchian visual to see what we saw at the zone as opposed to just telling us about it because how awesome would it have been to see like Major Briggs like ascending, his head coming off and all these sooties, these woodsmen Storming running the in. Storming the zone. Yeah, it would have been just incredible. That's my chief, like, real kind of complaint. Can you imagine scenes. the budget on that scene, Tom? That's why they had to cut it. <laughs> what do you mean budget? Zones, it's, it's, woodsmen, floating uh, garlands, heads flying off. No, it would have been a great scene the, to see, but I think it would have cost a lot. That's probably why they had to cut it. It would have cost some dough, but, I mean, come on. you know, How about replace that with the what we got in Part 17 in the Sheriff's Station? I'm not sure the budget. Well, well no, come on. Really? You do that? Would you rather have a scene in the zone with what we know went down than with the Bob Bubble and the Freddy Glove? Uh, well, yeah, because then if you take that away at the end, then there's what's the resolution? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is episode 9 or 10 or 11 when they go into the zone. If we would have had that, then not had the Bob Bubble at the end, then what would how would have wrapped up? We would have, you know, had a little... I would have rather plot. had something really more kind of mysterious um, with Mr. C and um, Cooper... Like where maybe you didn't know what happened. So when then you do see Cooper back in the lodge in part 18, it kind of makes sense. Like, well, he's kind of vacillating between Mr. C and Cooper. What's going on? Like As opposed to just really being kind of overt, like him being shot the way that he was, the bob bubble, the glove. Yeah. Uh, I would have rather been like less is more. And what's really telling about that scene is that Lynch in the behind the scenes of the, the Blu-ray documentary, like he had been trying to figure out that scene like for many, many, many months probably. Yeah, and up until the point that where they shot, he still didn't know what the hell he was going to do with it. So you're and saying it, that you're you're saying uh, Lynch? I would uh, I would do, I have to rethink that that you made a mistake. No, it's just just well, this is constructive criticism. Just a constructive it. criticism. Right, that's fine. You, know, you can have your opinion. opinion. Yeah. Well, what do you think? You So you think that whole thing went down, that that was like, you know, A1 filmmaking and plot-wise it was brilliant and it all worked out well and you're very happy for that. It was a little campy, but I it was, it was so out of the world, out of this world bizarre and, and, and comic in a way that I went with it and I now believe it as a part of canon, the canon and the big head and the whole thing and I buy into it. I buy, obviously, we spent five million hours <laughs> doing these podcasts. So I do, <laughs> but you're right. On paper, it's a little weird. And it took some getting used to, and it, and you know, I think if Frank Silver were still alive, it would have been a lot different. I think we had. To oh, it would have been a lot. Well, there wouldn't have. I don't think been a. And they had unlimited uh, budget as well. I think that was another way to you know save on budget. He's just like well, you know, I mean, you can also say this like, is just you know, we're just bringing up things here. You could have like scaled down this storyline and not had two hundred and thirty-seven actors or however many there were. Tom, we loved them all. all. These look. Well, no, who would you cut? <laughs> you talked about the Fuscos. <laughs> Some of the Roadhouse scenes. We're just talking over a great acting performance. Matthew Lillard's greatest acting performance ever, probably. It really is. It's it's incredible. I mean, there's but this is some interesting information that he's telling us because I think what's going on is that what he's saying is is that they went. Did he kill Ruth? I think he might have killed Ruth. They said he says he made they made me hold her down. So maybe they made him do it. I, I don't know. He he that very well could be true. But what I want to talk about is that Brig. They saw Briggs on one day when they first went there and he goes, hey, hack into this computer, right? And get me these coordinates. <laughs> into the FBI, right? They're gonna, these two high school teachers going to hack into the FBI? I don't know if it was the FBI or the military or whatever, but that was a ruse. Like he knew. See, Briggs could see 25 years into the future enough to give the note that we just saw the Jackrabbit's Palace, right? So I think that um, 
uh, he knew very well what was going to happen. That's why he ascended and his head came off and that the coordinates were going to be left there and they were going to be found and Mr. C was going to get them. And it was just part of the plan to get him to that portal near Jackrabbit's palace to be trapped and ultimately done away with. Um, so I, I think that was all part of the plan. So he left Ruth and uh, Bill there to die. He did, when, the, when the woodsman came flying, he just took off in his like spaceship with a head and just said, see suckers later. This is war, Peacock. There's, you know, inevitably there's going to be like, you know, uh, some some victims here. Okay. Maybe he saw like the original uh, screen before he died. I guess he was dead by then. But like, you know, when you saw Matthew Lillard in the original screen, you wanted him to get his comeuppance. You wanted to see a scene like this where he was saying he was sorry after being arrested. And now here we get it. So there you go. It was a great scene. It was a great performance. And Tammy did a great job. And uh, um, here's the hum. We're in the hum. God, this is just every time Northern we're in Tom. the Great Northern and at night, it just evokes the original series. I love the look of it. I love Ben Horn, at, you know these these you know the septuagenarian years, and he's still you know Ben Horn. He's still conflicted, but I loved his character. And he's still on the make. We, he's still he's on the st- make. A few but percentage does, he, points on the make. Yeah, she is interested in him. I don't think so. She's. We've had, oh, we remember we had, a, we had a huge discussion about this. I know. You didn't yeah. think at all. I thought that she was like, get me the fuck out of here. I'm only doing this because he's my boss. And he was like, you know, liking her and trying to be kind about it. But he he's flirty. He's flirting with her more than she's flirting with him, I thought. Because she's well, trying to get shit out. She's trying to – she may flirt with him for a, a purpose, like to get, you know, financial raise, whatever it is. She has an angle. But it's not love, I don't think, personally. I'm not saying it's love. I think she's or interested romance. in – Ben Horn. I think it's it was obvious in that first scene together. Uh, I mean, not the first scene that we saw her, but the scene where they were investigating the hum. And this one, it's it's overt. I mean, she is definitely into the man, and he is into her. Yeah. And uh, but he pulls away, and he yeah. says he doesn't. You know, even men know. with power, Tom. She got. It's like a, it's not a good scenario. She's there. They're not on even level. Yeah. No, but look, hey, you're nope. telling me this. You're watching. Oh, they just so, nope. She's not interested. Well, she's acting. She's acting as yeah. a character. Yeah. Like she, she's not interested in. She's only interested in because he's a man of power. Do you think she knows Sylvia? She like you know she's she's like trying to trying to become the next uh, Mrs. Horn. He's divorced. Oh, they're divorced. That's correct. Yeah, I would think that he would already have like a stable of girlfriends or something at this point. Like somebody. He's, he's a lonely man. Trying to do good. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. Yeah. Maybe I'm missing that. That he really has truly changed. And he deserved to have a little love here. And she, they maybe would fall in love, but she's got the husband who's dying back at home. So maybe you're right. Maybe I'm having a change of heart. I'm seeing, their, I'm seeing their body language here, and it does seem a little more genuine than I thought the first time. I think it might be the first time you've actually been humbled and admitted you're, you're wrong. The first time ever? No. I think I <laughs> in my life <laughs> on my knees, mea culpa to the world. Who is this guy? I, it's like DJ, I don't know, something. DJ Hawkins. No, I think he's a big, big DJ. I can't remember who it was, but it's uh, someone. Some got some. I don't know. He's probably all the the young people know. I have no idea. And here's here Sky we, Ferreira. Yeah, Sky Ferreira. And this and is yeah, itchy armpits. And this really kind of like the first time I saw it. I, this really is the first like you know booth scene, confessional scene of some sort that we we got like three other ones, and. Uh, I just immediately just thought of Laura and Renette and like Firewall. That's right. You mentioned that in the first time we saw this. Do you think this is also part of like some Cooper fantasy, like some lodge uh, that this is not real? Everything here, like maybe this is part of Audrey's lodge fantasy and her pocket. Well, that's hell. a popular. That's a popular theory. It's just that I don't think the Co- Cooper dream theory extends to the Roadhouse and 
what we're seeing in Twin Peaks, other than maybe. But what about know, the, the reversing? What about the Lodge's theme in reverse at the end of sixteen? I think. That no, there's really something nice. going on with in the Roadhouse and with some of these themes, uh, with these uh, scenes. Um, and they seem to be tied to Audrey in some fashion. I don't know. But the fact that Lynch really kind of wrote uh, Audrey scenes like on the fly, they were different, um, that I don't think that they're tied into the bigger like mystery of, of the series. But it, it could be that these scenes were written later, you know, late in the game as well. I don't know. But they really have no purpose to anything. Um, other than <laughs> trying to connect certain dots. Like the most interesting one is the one that's in, I think it's the next one we get, or maybe it's the last one. I, I can't remember, but um, where it's the two girls and they're talking and they're talking. That's the one with Billy. And it, it seems like some of the characters that woman was talking uh, about um, were connected to the scene outside of the double R in part 11. Like you mentioned earlier with the bug girl yeah. and the mom, like that uncle. There seems that's to be my favorite one. tissue with that. Yeah. That, that Starring Lynch's wife, that, and uh, yeah, I like that one. Getting high in my room, it? yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was a good one, but uh, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, th- this still is like really, but it's not that kind of interesting it's because we don't know who these characters are. It, it's it's uh, tonally, it's just, you know, they're at the Roadhouse. It's just not very uh, compelling or interesting. Well, it's just color. It's not, Maybe it's just the, the he's showing what Twin Peaks is like, and that's what it's supposed well, to be. Well, that's it. it. Maybe that's what Lynch is doing. That's Lynch it. and Frost are doing is that they're just. This is There's kind the of experimental narrative. This is not. Who's the penguin? We're never going to find out who Trump? the penguin is. Who's the, rhino- who's the rhinoceros that Stephen mentions in part uh, 15? Good point. We don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Maybe the jumping man is uh, rhinoceros. He got the nose, pointy nose. And that's a bit of a stretch now, yeah, don't you think? That's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the itch. But, this is, oh. but, but what I was saying is the experimental narrative is that maybe that's what, you know, Lich and Frost are doing. They, they can never. Um, go back to the well. I mean, they could have gone back to the well with what they did in the original series, but they were never going to replicate that success ever. And so what they decided to do was to have all these little tangents. And this is what Lynch loves. He loves a continuing story. He loves all these different rabbit holes. And, you know, maybe they, 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 they're endless and they don't really go anywhere. But we're all kind of like uh, programmed to want to connect all the dots, like open up the McKee manual, the Robert McKee manual and go like everything, the inciting incident, act one, act two, everything makes sense. And it fits this kind of form. And Lynch is formless in his like, you know, narrative and filmmaking to some extent still has a plot. But that's what the true experimental nature of the return is. And even for super diehard fans like us, we have constructive criticism. We're still kind of grasping with certain aspects of it, even though we love the whole of the Twin Peaks. Well, also, it's hard to watch and really enjoy it with the sound down, which is what we're doing now. <laughs> it is. It really is tough, yeah. And I do have to say that the uh, Au revoir, Simone, is that this group? Au revoir, Simone, yeah, yeah. One of my like favorites. I'm not a huge oh, fan wow. of the, the You're bands. Oh wow, you're not a big. Uh, I like these. You like these, any of the new uh, bands? You like you like them, huh? That first song. I don't. I don't know if it's this. I think it's the first one. Like, was it part three? Yeah, part early. One of the top three? first four. Yeah. Yeah, that was really. I like that song a lot, and uh, they just got a good vibe, and uh, I, I do. Yeah, so I like this act. I think they're this one, and the, my favorite was the trouble with uh, Lynch's son. I like that. Uh, no, that's a very uh, a weird choice. I'm sorry. No, I like that's my favorite. <laughs> that's like background music. It's not even a song. It's just like right. It's had no. It was just kind of that, right? Can you do that one more time? Boom, boom, boom. You have to put it in there. Loop it in here without in post. But uh, yeah, okay. Here we go. Any last thoughts for, uh, for this episode, my friend? Overall, okay. So part nine. This was really full of exposition, this, Tom. Lots of exposition. It's not. It's not full of exposition. It's just. 
that coming off that unexpected just brilliance of part eight i mean just mind blown still to this day and then we have to get back into the narrative i mean really part eight was this kind of outlier we're going back and seeing kind of this origin story so to speak and then part nine we're like you know it's like connected to part you know part seven a little bit of part eight with mr c so you know and i understand with the the story there's so many different moving parts that um, and so many characters in different locations that you're going to have these kind of scenes. It's just that I think some of the editing choices, you know, I think you, these moving parts could have maybe done a little bit more here at the beginning of part nine to kind of help the audience coming off of part eight. So this is Lynch shunning, you know, he's, he doesn't want like any bandwagoners, so he's going to make you work for it. As soon as all the bandwagoners jumped on after eight, then he just said, okay, well, let's get through this. Get through this. We'll let you in, the gang. And uh, we're still here, so the the bandwagon just dropped off. The last like five or six episodes, I thought really strong. The last five were but, just golden. Yeah, they really golden. Well, on that note, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in.